0: Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. This week, it's the St. Patrick's Week special, and I'm joined today by special guest, Steve the Celtic Warrior Collins. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm good now, and yourself? How are you keeping? Oh, it's great. Living the dream on top of the world. Absolutely. I believe you're just home from a bit of a family reunion back in Ireland as well.
1: Yeah, I went over to see my mom. I've obviously, I've with my brothers and, that and family when I was out there. All's good. Keeping in touch, you know. Yeah, you, got to keep we, my you never know when you might need a organ donation
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah um, yeah you're all looking fit and lean and healthy obviously uh, Roddy's been in the Roddy's been in the news recently for bringing out his book
1: yeah the book the, <laughs> the Rod Bible. yeah what did you think of it I there's a book and then there's something you know and live and experience for over 50 years you know what I mean which mm. you, you need 20 books to cover it it's only a part of of a story.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's funny. He had the same uh, he had the same ghostwriter as yourself back when you did yours, in, way back in the nineties, I think it was. Yeah, I gave him this big break. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: was, he was still in school then, I think.
0: <laughs> actually, I actually have it here in front of me. Steve Collins, the Celtic Warrior, with Paul Howard. So yeah, yeah. that one might need an update as well at some we
1: stage. We started it before um, any world, before the U fight and everything else, you know. So it was a really nice time to do a book. Mm. I was thinking of. I thought maybe it was going to be retiring soon. I wasn't getting the breaks, and I said, "I oh, should we do it? maybe do a story about boxing and so on and whatever." And, and I had a chat, and then and, um, yeah, and then we hadn't really got a a a, a um a, cl- a closing part or the main part of the book. And all of I got the title fight with Chris Eubank, so it was perfect timing. How's that? Yeah, I say we already started the book before the title fight, so yeah.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. That's uh, that's that's exactly what you want for your Hollywood finish. All right, Steve. uh, I've a couple couple of bits on the agenda to talk to you about today. Um, Obviously, given it's Paddy's week, um, I wanted to bring up and mention that it's uh, it's a bit of an anniversary for you. The first ever Irish uh, title fight held on foreign shores, uh, or certainly in the United States, and it was March eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight, in Boston.
1: One year old, Boston, Boston. Boston, I trained out Brockton, but we fought in the Boston Garden. Mm. Not Brockton. You said Brockton, did you? I said Boston, I think. Oh, maybe you <laughs> <just about>. Boston. <laughs> you can record it back and find out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah.
0: I'll get someone to point it out. I'm not listening back. No one likes to listen back to their own voices. But yeah, Steve Collins versus Sammy Story uh, in Boston, 1988, March 18th, um, 35 years ago. You were only a young fella.
1: Do you know what? It's funny, I can remember so clearly uh, he called me into his office from the gym and he said we've just been offered a title fight uh, for the Irish title to take place in Boston against uh, Sam Story and I said take it and he said oh I don't know he said this guy's an Olympian he's, he's undefeated as a pro I said no take it and I said I want this fight I want this fight so bad because I said I fought him as an amateur and I was a very I was very ill tonight. Of the fight I wanted to pull out but then I thought maybe I'd go for it because I could probably land a big shot and win by knockout. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the fight didn't go my way. And I always knew I had the beating of him, you know, and he went deep to professional at Barney Easton and he went on to do great. He became British champion, one of the first, I think he was the first Superweight champion of Great Britain. And he's doing really well. And then obviously I'm in Boston and they gave the opportunity to fight him. And I thought, great, for two reasons. One is it would be revenge to prove that I was the very middleweight at the time, an amateur, and two, it's a great opportunity for me to fight somebody who's recognized in Europe and, and step me up in, in the rankings and get me more exposure. So, yeah, it was great. It was a great um, opportunity. And it took place in the old Boston Garden, which is a great venue with great history, going back to the Boston Celts and, 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 and the um, the New England Hockey and everything else, you know, the Bruins. And uh, so it, it was great. Um, everything about it was just magic, absolutely magic. And I always remember... Uh, uh, Joshua Tree was the U2 album that was big at the time in America. And I loved it because I just listened to on, on, on my. Uh, what what have we got then, we had cassette uh, every It we called, um, oh, what were they called? Oh, cassette tapes used to put on the strap in their arm. Oh. The Walkman. Walkman. That's how had a Walkman. He's have that uh, <laughs> the music. And over and over again, going running. And the song I love was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I was looking for the big title and the big break. And this was the song that, you know, it, you know, it helped me prepare and gave me great um, enthusiasm, listening to the words and lyrics to that song. And they actually came out to fight uh, uh, Sam Story to that music. So great time, great memories. And it, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. I mean, it's frightening how quick time goes. Quality. I we will... about, remember the whole lot, the whole, everything about the press conference. remember everything.
0: They, uh, I think U2 won the Grammy that month for, I still have, for uh, the Joshua Tree. So we'll put a pin in the Boston Garden here. You're walking out to, f- to face Sammy's Story for the Irish title in Boston. We'll put a pin and we'll return to it in a couple of minutes, Steve. You began boxing as a young player. You, were, you came from a boxing family, like a dynasty. Your father was a boxer. Your uncle was a boxer. Everybody, and it was a rite of passage in your family to put on the gloves, you're saying in the book, almost like having your communion or having your confirmation.
1: Yeah, um, it's, 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 uh, yeah. when I was young, you'd have played football or you boxed, and that was it. I, maybe the GAA in the schools. There wasn't really much else going on. I just loved the boxing. I loved everything about it. I fell in love with it. I had my first fight when I was eight years old. I remember it was in the um, Corinthian gym, Garden Street. It was in the basement of an old um, Georgian house, and an old trainer, a famous old trainer, which your grandfather would remember probably, Maxie McCullough, was the, was the coach who ran it. And I remember the gym, I remember this dusty old basement, and guys used to walk around sprinkling water on the floor to stop the, rust, the dust rising. And someone would have a watch, and they'd be keeping time. And I loved it and, and I remember I had my first fight and just a bug I got and it bit me and I came home and I told my mum I said I'm gonna be um, I'm going a uh, champion of the world I'm gonna be a heavyweight champion of the world and most of course you will son because she was great she believed in everything you know I don't know what my dad thought People would just thought yeah right You right, know. Right, right. and and I remember I, I used to wear I, I wanted to be a heavyweight because the heavyweight was the glory division and my uncle Jack O'Rourke my mother's brother was former Irish heavyweight champion. He also, he also, was a, uh, he also boxed in the British Army. He was heavyweight champion of the British Army as well even the Irish Guards. So it was great history, you know, at the heavyweights with, with the glory division. So I used to, um used to get my dinner at home. We'd have the batch bread then, the batch loaf. And with my dinner, I'd, I'd put about four or five slices of batch loaf bread. And I'd make sandwiches on my dinner to, to load more food. In. <laughs>
0: no way. I
1: used to eat as a kid. The more you eat, the bigger you get. But I wasn't getting big. I was getting heavier. I wasn't getting taller, you know? Yeah. Oh, so I, did, I did become a heavyweight amateur and I won uh, amateur titles of heavyweight until I reached the age of 17 when I sparred in Trinity College with a, a, a professional headweight then, a great amateur, uh, Joe Crystal.
0: Oh, Big Joe, yeah, yeah.
1: Big Joe. I remember Joe Crystal. I remember he hit me right hand on the top of the head and I swear to God my neck went into my shoulders and I think I lost two inches in height. And that <laughs> instant, I realized to myself, I'm not a heavyweight. I'm definitely a heavyweight and I came from a heavyweight down to light heavy and if light heavy, I lay went, heavy I went down to middleweight so when people are getting older they usually get heavier I was going the opposite direction I was dropping weight when I was getting yeah. older
0: that uh, seems like a good decision as well the sensible one especially when you're getting hit by lads like Joe Crystal yeah what was Maximo Cutler like because you know he has such a great story he was the European champion wasn't he, he as an amateur I think he had a a homecoming in Mullingar where he rode into the town on horseback well,
1: like a, a legend well you're t- you know you're, you're going back a long time I, I was a single digit kid yeah. Seven, eight, nine years old you know in his gym and uh, he, he would have been a man probably in the 60s then so I remember him with a dark suit and I recall him you know with hair kind of greased back and uh, he had a presence but wasn't loud if you understand what I'm saying you know he had a presence but I don't think he ever had raised raise his voice a shell so he had a presence and had knowledge and it was, it, was, it was just a great atmosphere because my dad trained in that gym boxed at that gym my uncles both sides my mother's brothers, my father's brothers, I had cousins. And uh, we all it, it was a great gym. It was a great 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 um, atmosphere. And and yeah, I just that, that was when I first got bit with the bug and decided I was going to become a as I said to my mum, heavyweight champion of the world. And I tried to I tried to mimic myself on and Rocky Marciano. And I remember, you know, latter lot of years I was in the gym called Phoenix Boxing Gym, just off Park Gate Street in the basement mm-hmm. of the of the famous Wright, Billy Wright boxing family. And he, below him was Jerry Jay Wright and, and, and um, God, I can't remember, uh, uh, Jay Wright, I remember, uh, Billy Wright, yeah, it's junior, and the other Wright brothers, they, they were all champions as well, so it was a great history to that club, so I used to, fought, uh, there's a little bag in the corner, I used to stand behind this bag in the corner, and just used to bang the bag, just keep whacking the bag all day long, because like Rocky Murray I wanted to keep punching the bag, like punching my opponent, my opponent's arms and the arms dropped, then I could knock them out. And that was the mindset I had. I stand stand behind that bag, just whacking the bag as hard as I could all night long. Yeah, I uh, uh, wanted to become the next, the next uh, Rocky Marciano. So even or, then it was I about that kind of professional Mar- hurtful approach. Saying literally Rocky Marciano. Yeah, Marciano. Marciano. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I had, I had a, the mentality of a professional fighter as a kid because I just wanted to be a professional. To me, amateur is just a means to an end. and. I think that probably affected my amateur career because sometimes I I used to get into the mindset of being a professional. And in amateur, I I explained to people that amateur is boxing, professional is fighting. You can go out in an amateur fight and pit-a-patter, you know, like pit-a-patter, pit-a-patter shots with no power in them and build the points and win an amateur boxing match. Whereas I had the mindset that I wanted to cut the ring off, draw them into a brawl and make them fight and punish them. But you had clever... Amateurs who fought like a fencer would fight in a fencing match and would steal it from you. So in a way, it, it, I struggled a bit as an amateur you know, in the early days to accept that amateur boxing is not fighting. You have to change and be more of a boxer, which I didn't want to do. So I just wanted to get the amateur career out of the way and become a professional. That was my mindset from the time it, I was 8 all up until 21.
0: In the Phoenix, you would have been working under. Uh, you would have been coached by Tony Davis, a previous guest be on fun, the show. Yeah. Here.
1: But before, Tony Davis was, was a young coach then, a great coach, a great success with him. Before Tony Davitt was Peter Glennon, mm. another absolute legend who also done the corners of my dad's and my uncle's right. at gym to be with him because, you know, Max McCullough, I don't know what happened there. Maybe it was too far to travel or maybe, you know, I couldn't get there on my own. Actually, I couldn't get there on my own. I only got there when my dad drove me. So but I could walk to the Phoenix gym from where I lived and, 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 and Peter Glennon, who was an um, absolute legend. And and the great 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 coach who coached my 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 uncles and that he was the coach I wanted to be with and I joined Phoenix for that reason and you know going back to all the generation older than me would you remember Peter Glennon used to be used to walk in the Metropole Picture House he was the um, like an usher there and sometimes I, my mum and dad would go to the uh, pictures to see the film when they are younger and my mum said he'd come down and sit beside us and spend the whole night top of the box and never watch the film again oh, yeah you know, so great old story so yeah that's yeah, that's just um talking about um yeah the I, phoenix I actually
0: open. recently saw a clipping of you and your old uh, Phoenix t- uh, he was um was he boxing down Phoenix at the time but Jerry Creighton and he's over there at
1: the uh the premiere for was it Rocky Four outside the so, cinema? No, no let me move on from there, okay. Right. Uh, yeah, Phoenix was great. Peter Glenn retired probably hell to held to old days so because he was an old man and, and um and, and Tony David took over and Tony was a Tony had two brothers, Tommy Davitt, a great professional, and PJ David, and a great, great fighter. Just never got the breaks, but great professionals. And they were in, I used to spar with them and, you know, everything's going great with Tony and my dad would come down. And my dad, my dad passed away very sudden. And it was like, a, I got a bit of a body blow and I just lost interest. And I, I gave up boxing and I just gave up everything, you know, just concentrated in school and that and just walked away and just, just, it didn't appeal to me. And then I built, Say less than a, close to a year later, I wanted to go back into boxing. I was hitting 16, 17 years old, 17, whatever, and I wanted to go back into boxing. And then I went down to the Phoenix, and, and the memories there, I, I just I didn't want to be there. i was just sad. Yeah, of course. So I decided, the next, where do I go from here? And a great one of the most successful professional fighters who wouldn't be known to the youth nowadays were the McCormick brothers, Pat McCormick and his brother John, aka Young McCormick, were both British champions Pat was lightweight champion and John was previously heavyweight champion and their father Spike McCormick another absolute boxing legend he used to work he used to do security on the Kelly's carpets uh, all carpet, their carpet drum in uh, their next door to the Man, um football club And I used to, I used to talk to Spike McCormick his legend about boxing as a young kid and he used to have great conversations with him I used to walk past stop and talk to him but well, I wanted them to um, you know go to the McCormick John McCormick in St. Sabres because my dad had great time for John McCormick, great respect for him. And of course, being a British former British champion, it was appealing because I knew I was going to turn professional when you know after my uh, national uh, senior career. And I thought what well, the best place for me to go to go now would be with young John McCormick, or John McCormick's team in St. Say was the old fire station Dorset Street, because then I could learn from him about what's going to happen as a professional, because he 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 was a professional and I could pick up a lot more from him because a professional was my game. So I went to where. Uh, since I was young and successful, there I had I won a junior light heavyweight title and I won a senior middleweight title.
0: So when you when you had your three elite uh, or senior championship finals 84, 85, 86 losing the first two and then bouncing back to win one and you they were all three. While you Let me we go back, back to Jerry.
1: The question you asked is a bit like I'm a bit like Randy Corbett here. I start off one thing with the afternoon, I go off on another topic. Back to Jerry Creighton great um Peckley runs Dublin Zoo. An amazing guy. Uh, his family, you know, I've been very, very um much involved in Dublin Zoo, going back for generations. He's in. there now he's 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 uh, he's, he's the perfect man because he's, he's gone he's out on his, own, his own,
0: own now since Steve. He's got a uh, global elephant care and uh, he goes around the world uh, promoting well, proper elephant care. But he still has a relationship with the zoo. But Jerry well, was ha- on with us in uh, last he, year
1: he went in as a very young man and he yeah. was very passionate, and loved it. But I mean, his dad told me stories about how the, you know how they would contain you know, big cats in those days, they didn't have tranquilizers in them cages. They used to throw blankets over them and grab them. And it was just, you know, back in the day, it was crazy. I wasn't <laughs> cruel. It was just in those days, they didn't have the uh, facilities they have now. It, it was a dangerous job. Yeah, but, right. but, but it was, they loved the animals. I and mean, Jerry Creighton inherited that love for animals. And he obviously proved that. But yeah, so myself and Jerry, um, the yeah Rocky movie was coming to Dublin and they wanted two um, guys to uh, pose in front of the. Uh, it was What picture was it in Bastard? Bastard picture house? Real I think so. Studio. Yeah, I think so. Behind the old from hospital, yeah. Famous, famous uh, uh, old picture house. So myself and Jay Creighton for our um, Saint was best son. I went to pose in front of the uh, picture house. The only problem was the picture was taken the day before the film was advertised. So the, the current movie that was being shown on the picture house was Peter Pan. So we are had the big poster Peter Pan advertising rocky and the rocky billboard hadn't gone up because it was, was gone up the next day but that was the day that we, we were available for photographs i don't know it was a yeah, funny story yeah <laughs> but then anyway, go back to what you were asking of gone off to- well
0: no so, no you're, you're not going off the topic at all so you're, you're you're in your Sabres top just as you probably were for in uh, 1984 first elite title uh first elite final 81 kilos like you say you're coming down the weights no mcgee uh defeated yeah. at the national stadium and then uh, another belfast fellow the, the following year 1985
1: yeah, uh, story.
0: Seven, yeah, five kilos. Sammy Story, who'd been at the Olympics the previous year.
1: No, that no, was a Sammy. That was oh yeah, Sammy was middleweight. Yeah, Boston, yeah Sammy middle. Yeah, I am. Um, well, that's the point I made earlier. The Belfast always were always the best back in the day. They had a very the great system up there. They had, see they had professionals in Belfast and they had professional coaches training amateurs. So they had a very elite setup up there before things changed in the south. You know, and. They were very clever boxers, and as I said, you know, they they knew how to steal a fight, they knew how to do it, and, and these guys would get out, and, and, and they're great boxers, and they'd steal a fight, whereas I said I always come back at the end of the second and third round, I felt there was only warming up to it, and they'd win the third round, but by then, these guys would have stalled round one, round two, and you would lose the close season, and frustrating, but, you know, it, it was where it was, but, yeah. You weren't, Sorry,
0: to, know, you weren't but, to know at the time, though, what they go on to achieve. Like, Noel McGee goes on to become Commonwealth champion. Sam Storey wins the British title and uh, fights for the world title as well later on in life. But um, at 2-0 and and having lost your first two Irish champion- championship finals, were you, mm-hmm.
1: uh, as a senior, were you ready to kind of throw the hat at and, and just no, no, it, never, it? No, no. I'm, I'm realistic. You know, you, you sit back and you say, like, well, what happened here? I understood what was going on. I understood the game. And I, I was never going to be uh, disheartened because I knew I was going to win an Irish title at one stage, and I knew, you know. And then I went to John McCormick's gym, and, and I kind of added the knowledge that he gave me to the experience I had. So a year or two with him, I became, I improved as an amateur. So I, I, I kind of surpassed the level I was when I lost to these guys to the point that I never lost an in international. And I, the, you know, one of my most my glory moments as an amateur was, of course, a, you know, I fought against England. Wales, Scotland, the, I fought American selection and I won them all. But the best win for me was against a team from Hungary came over and they were still part of the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union boxers were the best in the world because they were well schooled and full-time coaching and full-time training. And I had a guy called, uh, his name would come to the few minutes. He was silver medalist, European uh, runner-up. and uh, Zoltan Fuzzy was his name, yes. And it was 5 all at the end of the night, and, you know, Ireland five, hungry five, and mine was the last fight of the night, and we never be hungry, and I'm climbing into the ring to fight a silver medalist, you know, their captain, their great they The altar, I, I don't, you know, it doesn't look, you know, Steve comes up against a good fire here, a lot of experience, you know, whatever. Uh, we're not going to pull it off, but I did. I turned I turned the farm on that night. He was a so shell and I loved cell paws. I never lost with Cell paws to me, I could I could bash them up all day long. And this guy was a cell paw when, when he came out of his corner and I saw a cellpause dance, I smiled because I knew like, this was my game. And I went and I beat him. And uh so we why do you like fighting South paws so much? Uh-huh. I have little secrets I can't tell you. I'm gonna show you. <laughs> I just liked him because everyone thought South par was um had a big advantage. Self-paws fought Orthodox 99 of the time and only fought a cellpaw once in a while so you know they always fought orthodox so we didn't fight pause very often and I realised that the guys had a, a bit of a hang up about cellpaws so I took a step back and I looked and I went hmm this is what cellpaws do this is what you do to counter that and I just worked it out and I, I, I nailed it you know but anyway
0: i to Hungary, yeah. yeah yeah <laughs> I you. as a
1: professional I never lost a soap so yeah um so I beat him and and, and it was a great time I got I got an award from the uh, Irish Amateur Boxing Association a month later for for the performance you know but what was great was in the corner of Zoltan Fuzzy was one of the greatest middleweights of his era There was a guy was a guy called um Laszlo Papp Laszlo Papp the great one yeah so Laszlo had three gold medals and went on to become professional and won the European title and was recalled before I fought for the world title because they were afraid if you went to America he wouldn't come back. So in the corner was Laszlo Pop and also I guess that that night at the fight was it was a friend of uh, uh, my trainer John McCormick, a, a former world champion called Terry Downs. Oh, yeah. so, so after the Terry Downs former world champion the middleweight. So after the fight I got a photograph of you know I think it was still on my gear or whatever or my tracksuit articles of myself. Terry Downs and Laszlo Papp, the three of us standing in the, in the, the ringside uh, uh, bar at the back. This photograph was taken of us three together and it's out there somewhere. I think it's probably in a box with a drawer in my mother's house. But that's the photograph of myself, Laszlo Papp and Terry Downs. And I will find it one day and get it out there. It was a great picture to have, but great memories as an amateur. But at that stage then, when I was um, we were picked to fight in America and I knew then that I'm going to America, but I'm not coming back because I decided that I was going to uh, stay over there and turn professional. And I was going to go to the um, Marvin Hagler gym in Brockton, Massachusetts, because Marvin Hagler was the great middleweight champion of the world then. And I, I was a big fan of his and I liked the style of fighting. And I wanted to uh, develop my style on, on on his method of boxing and, and then from his own um, people. Yes, yeah, so so Steve.
0: You'd been saving up all your, you'd been saving up your pennies and your pounds, uh, trying, to, trying to get enough airfare to move to Boston or move to America anyway to start your professional career. Then you got picked on an Ireland team to go across anyway, and it was happy days.
1: Yeah, it I was. I, 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 I'd um, I done well in school. My dad always believed in, in uh, You know, he, he made a study, so I'd done well in school, got a great, amazing results in my exams and got a really good job in Guinness Brewery. I was set up for life, people told me. But at the back of my mind, I said, Well, yeah, you're saying that, but I'm going to get my apprenticeship out of my way and I'm gone for America. And people didn't know what I was on about I was nuts, you know? So, uh, yeah, I had a great job in Guinness Brewery. So I went to America and um, met the Petronellis, you know, fought fought my last fight in Yonkers Raceway, New York, outdoor venue, great night, great success. Everybody else uh, headed to the airport. I headed to the bus station to get a bus to uh, uh, Brockton, Massachusetts, uh, Boston first. And I always remember hopping on the bus, and I always had this image of me climbing onto the Greyhound bus, but it wasn't. It was actually the Peter Pan bus. It wasn't as cool, but I wanted to get a photograph of the Greyhound bus, but I ended up in a company called Peter Pan bus. Peter Pan Pan comes back into the story again. Hangs over me again, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I went went to the um, Boston, got myself a job, you know, went to the local Irish bar, met Sean Mannion, yeah, the world contender then. Absolutely amazing guy. And to be honest with you, the guy was such a good fighter. So much talent that if he had the commitment and dedication, good God, he wouldn't be one of our greatest champions ever. But he was—he—he he, he was lazy, but God, he was tough and he could fight. We'd only train a couple weeks for a fight and drop like 10 20 pounds. I don't know how he had done it, but that's how he survived. And they, anyway, finally, he was a great fighter, and, and I learned a lot from him. And I decided then I was going to go professional, and, and I went down to Brockton, Massachusetts, and I introduced myself to a uh, Goody and Pat Piccinelli, who I was and told them that I was going to be the next middleweight champion of the world. And they just loved it. My attitude. But at the same time, in that gym was an up and coming middleweight that the Americans were going crazy about. It uh, was a guy called Terry Crystal, brother of Joe Crystal, who was former uh, Irish international and middleweight champion of Ireland, as well as middleweight champion of France, was an undefeated professional middleweight boxing of uh, Brockton, Massachusetts, the Petronelli gym as well. So uh, I was in good company.
0: Yeah, um, the, the fighting that, physician
1: wasn't it they called him? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a fighting physician, and, and I remember they'd they done the um, I think it was called was it called Twenty Minutes a documentary about him over there, and the the, the American Medical Board you know, couldn't understand and weren't happy that you know a doctor was you know a professional boxer because they kind of banned boxing because of the injury concern and so on. Yeah, here's one of their own, uh, Very qualified. He very once, uh,
0: Terry Crystal once fought a guy and then gave him
1: stitches afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me at all. It's incredible. I tell you one thing. Terry Chris's last fight, he was—he was. He was he, a lot of guys. I don't know. A lot of guys not really so good. Teddy Chris was great. I used to spar him. Oh my God, he was hard. He was such a good boxer. He was a really great person to share a ring with. As an amateur, spar him. As a pro, spar him. And he, I learned so much from him. But I remember his last fight. The guy's name would come to me. Dave Tiberi. Fought, yes, he fought Dave Tiberi. Okay? Nineteen eighty-seven. We're very good. You've got your stats and points. You haven't. And Dave no, Tiberi, no, not I, this time. <laughs> I, I, I thought, I thought, you know, he beat Dave Tiberi, and I thought he, I, to me, he, he was a better fight, than Dave Tiberi, and nine times out ten, he would have beat him, but he lost to him, and I think that loss, um, um, set him back a bit, but he didn't realize how good Dave Tiberi was, because not very soon afterwards, Dave Tiberi went on and beat J- James Tony, so that's how good the level he was at. Yeah. And I realized, you know, who he, the guy he fought was an amazing player who beat one of the greatest middleweights in their area. You know, and him, I I thought Terry Crystal, you know, wasn't informed that night. Would have beat him nine times out of ten, but wasn't informed that night. Didn't get the decision. But it was, to me, it's good enough to beat him. But I think he would have realized how good the guy he was up against, maybe he wouldn't have been at his heart and he would have stayed in the game. But I mean, that's how it goes, yeah.
0: Yeah, he, he lost to a real tremendous con- contender there as well. Like, and it's, yeah, it sounded like a close run thing, and that was it for him because I suppose he had to fall back the career that he maybe his ambition wasn't to be a world champion, just to see how far he could go until he'd lose. I, I don't know. I don't, I've never met Terry. You I've, don't know. I've you tried don't to know. get him on a, for an interview for this show, and hopefully one day we will. So
1: he's a, he's, a, he's a very quiet, private person. Um, he's probably you know he's, he's probably be hard to get him on. You know, oh, we'll get we'll get there. It'd yeah. be great to get great to hear. Him. He's got some great tales. But his family his family history alone outside of boxing, the cycling, the history, the politics you know very interesting family very very interesting and, and of course Mel, sure. Mel is, is running but not running Mel's very senior which practically is it established in the boxing union of Ireland and great things with, with well with Mel's, their,
0: the, Mel's the main man in Irish professional boxing for, for years there Joe was the main man or the chairman of the board in Irish amateur boxing so you'd mm-hmm. your brother's running at the top of Irish amateur yeah. and professional boxing and then the other brother obviously a qualified surgeon who was a Pretty pretty great pro as well. So yeah, it's an enchantment. People there are uh,
1: well. well. oh, people who have who have, uh, have reached the top level. It's, it's another
0: like like the Collinses. It's it's another big boxing family, isn't it? Like a dynasty almost, like that. It's achieved stuff through brothers, brothers to brothers, uncles to dads, fathers to sons, all that sort of stuff. And you see it yeah it with is, fathers it and it daughters
1: with Katie and Pete. This tradition, definitely yes.
0: So we are you um. You you rock up with the Petronelles and kind of tell them you're a bit of gumption or a bit of a uh, bit of Dublin chat. They uh, they like what they hear and they decide to take you on. And before you know it, you're working out with uh, with Marvin Hagler. Um, yeah. Two years gone. Just um, this week. What was he like though to meet in person? Like he's all, everyone's uh, probably everyone's oh, it, idol at the time. It, or were you, it, you it, were it, more it of a Hagler
1: true. than a Ray Leonard guy? I
0: take it in the eighties.
1: It's the undisputed middleweight champion of the world, and I'm in the gym. And I'm on the bike, and I'm watching him at the corner of my eye. And uh, he took a liking to me. You know, he took a liking to me. And when I fought Sammy Storley for the Irish title, he sat ringside. And he, he just he just, he just took a liking to me. I don't know where it was. Maybe he just he saw the sacrifice I made and the willingness I had. And then, course he saw my determination in the ring. You know, he, he, he knew I climbed him with everybody. He didn't care who they were. he gave my best shot. Sometimes, you know, he'd come over in between rounds of sparring and, and, and give me instruction and tell me try this, try that you know and, and he never done that and I, I, I felt like wow this is great you know and I always wanted to spar him he keeps saying to go there, I want to move around with Marvin I want to go to camp at Marvin I want to spar Marvin and he said no and it kind of it, it didn't it not upset me but I felt a bit let down then I thought yeah he doesn't want to spar me because you know I'll have him I'll take him out you know what I mean
0: that
1: was my attitude <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I've got his number I told yeah. people that, i will take him it now. He's a southpaw. i have him for breakfast. i eat these guys for breakfast. You no, know, they, they they never beat me. I know i know their weaknesses. That was my mindset at the time.
0: I was going to ask, yeah. is one of the reasons you got so good at southpaws from doing work with Marvin Hagler, but you didn't well, like, do too I, many rounds, did you? Or?
1: No, I, spar- no, I didn't, never sparred Marvin. He wouldn't spare me. I sparred his brother every, for, for many, many years, who was Rock and Robbie Sims, Marvin's half-brother, who was also a southpaw and was number one contender for the world title for a long, long time, but never fought for the world title because the world champion was his brother and by the time Marvin retired Robbie had gone Robbie was over the hill past his best and fought for the WBO title and lost a points decision to uh, um, the Canadian guy with a real flat nose oh god I'll come in a minute white guy anyway I'll come to the minute uh, yeah this is Rock and Robbie yeah and Robbie so you know unfortunately for Robbie by the time he came around to fight for the world title he was over the hill because he couldn't he, he never got the shot because his brother Marvin was world champion but yeah I spent rocking Robbie Sims every day for many years and him being a south pond. Could sell pot. I just, I was never going to get better than him. So once I got his number, then I, I cracked that nut. You know. The fight with Sammy Dug Story. Dug the way you know, the, 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 of the title. Dug the wit. Canadian. Dug the way Yeah, United. that's the name. Yeah.
0: Yes. We're we're nearly at the. We're nearly back where we put our pin in the fight with uh, with Sammy Story. But you mentioned there at the start going to meet uh, Sean Mannion going to a bar it was a Dorchester or whatever and getting work. Well, what bars did you work in? You were, do- you were <laughs> doing all sorts of work, weren't you? I met
1: mine in the 12, 12, 12, 12 Benz thing it 12 was bends, called. 12 Benz, yeah. We come down there and there's a little off Dorset Street, sorry, Dorset Street, Dorset Avenue, a uh, uh, little bar and you go in there and, and it was a, you know, it was, it was a Connemara bar. I mean, it was a Gaelic-speaking bar, you know, that was the spoke Gaelic.
0: Yeah, named after the Twelve Bens mountain range, obviously yeah. out in Connemara, wasn't it? Sure.
1: And then you have a Dubliner walking in, and in the bloke, us Greg, is saying, "What's the story? We all looking at you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How's it uh, going?"
1: <fun>? We, <laughs> we had to walk in and say, and thoughts here." Otherwise, you'd be ignored. You know, yeah. it was great, interesting times. Yeah. Did you did you no, work there at the time, Steve? No, I didn't. I, I the first job I got was uh, I was no, I was labouring, painting, labouring, and then I um, I I I. Wanted to go. I was, I was a qualified electrician, and I've had all my city and guilds brought all over, dropped on the table to an, to an employer and and the and the uh, uh, people over there. And they looked at me and said that means nothing over here. You have to go back to school and and, and you know, save a pension over here. So I wrote lots of letters, and I got my I, I got accepted my my errors, but obviously I couldn't accept my my theory. So I had to go back to school and sit the exams. And I sat the exam and I became what's called a class as a journeyman electrician in, in the United States. I had a journeyman's license. not like a boxer, isn't it? it yeah. was called a journeyman electrician, which meant that I, I had the qualifications on paper and I could go on the site and I could have 12 wiremen men walk under me. There were men without the qualifications. So I I, even got, I I actually got a job in the union, lo- local, it um, was a 103, local 108, a 103. My local 103, uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical Worker Unions. I, I got my, uh, my card in the union and I used to go on sites and as a qualified journeyman electrician, I'd have eight wiremen working under me, but I was standing there holding the ladder for them because they hadn't got the paper qualifications, but they had 20, 30 years of experience of rewiring and so on. Whereas I had it all on paper, but I had the experience of the wiring in America because it's a totally different trade. So for the first year or so, I was the best paid electrician's labor. Yeah, Label. they love you. They <laughs> <love jail. laughs> yeah, we built some house in Charleston, Charleston, Charleston and that, and then and, uh, it's a very old Irish area. So, but in the if meantime, it's you, you know, in the morning, go for a run. It's a good at 5.30, go for a run, hop in the car, eat my breakfast in the car, going to work. i home from work, get my head down for an hour, have a sandwich, get my head down for an hour, and get up and drive to Brockton. And i had done that five nights a week. That was how I trained. And, and all I did was just sleep, work, and train. That's all I did for like years and years. I, I didn't, you know, I, I spent time in America and I saw nothing. All I saw was my job, my house, and the gym. And I never even, exper- I, I never even experienced Cape Cod till I went over on a holiday with my wife a couple of years, well, about eight, nine years ago. So living there, I just committed myself to my boxing career. So I worked every day and trained every day and practically saw nobody and nothing. In and your I, book with yeah, so for, a right? while, for a while, I did. I did um, walk a bit apart time, work in the bars so to get extra cash the weekends because uh, there was no money in the boxing. And I had, uh, I had two kids and a and, and family to support and rent to pay and them. And, um, so I had to uh, go out there. So all I did was work on the That was yeah. it. And I saw nobody and done very little else.
0: In the book with uh, Paul Howard, you mentioned uh, sacrifice and austerity. A boxer has to, you know, be built on those those
1: fundamentals. Yeah, you know, people say it was a sacrifice and you work hard. I loved it. it was yeah. The best. Time in my life, I was so happy. I used to get up, go to work, and home, you know, and go to gym. And it's just a very simple I was No, I mean, the only pressure I had was my boxing career, it was just great. And I, I had a good job, and I had my weights coming in every week. And I was saving a few, Bob, putting it all away. You know, you, we always saved, you know, returned to Ireland, our and the boy at home. That was the, the ambition. Um, and that was it. And I was, I used to work and save and just work and save. Yeah, that's all I did. I didn't, I didn't socialize, didn't do anything. It was just people only saw me when, when I showed up for a fight.
0: Manning a- was often offered like side gigs with the, uh, the Winter Hill gang were huge at the time and in Boston did you ever come up again did you ever see them did you ever in, were you ever in the yeah, same place yeah,
1: I mean I lived in Savon Hill which is so actually you know it's, it, it was like South Boston it's next it's, it is part of the, well it's cross the road the main roads to South Boston so I lived in Savon Hill just between Dorchester Ave and South Boston so we used to go to South Boston hang out there when I did, I, I ran, I ran around the uh, Castle Island every Sunday. Every Sunday, I done my long run around Castle Island, which is real South Boston, and so I knew everybody there. I, I, I recall when um, sort of a funny story actually, when I beat Sammy Story for the Irish title, St Patrick's Day parade it happens in South Boston. So they, they got this big limo with no roof on it, and I'm in the limo. You know, the new crowned Irish professional middleweight champion. And I'm driving around this limo, standing up in the limo with my hands in the air, waving at everybody, you know, the new champ, yay, you know, with Steve Collins, the Irish, new Irish champ in the side of car, and all Jordan, because most of them are from Ireland anyway, you know. And I always remember it was so cold that um, I'm going, yay, all the time. My face froze <laughs> and we stopped. And I, I think it was, was it Ray, um, who, who was the um, Lord Mayor of, of uh, Boston at the time? I'll well, come to you in a few minutes. We stopped and the, the mayor, the boss, was standing there. And he said, well done, Stevie. And he reached into the car to shake, you know, over the door to shake my hand. And my face was frozen. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move my mouth. And I'm trying to say to him, thank you very much. But here I was, <laughs> with frozen. My face was actually frozen. I couldn't move my jaw. Here I was going, uh, 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 you know. I couldn't talk. I was going, uh, uh, and he was shaking my hand. And I was looking at him, looking a face and I could almost read his mind. And he was saying to himself, this poor kid is brain damaged. He's right? 80% 80%. At, oh my God. What's wrong with this poor boy, you know? And I'm going, my face, was, I couldn't talk. And that stuck on me forever. <laughs> <laughs> and same day, I was oh. another, guy. I to another guy that day that I didn't know who he was. I knew the name, didn't know who or what he was. And it was Wiley Bulger. And he shaking my hands. And in those days, I didn't have cameras, which is probably a good thing. I phones, you know? So I'm meeting all these people in South Boston. You know, talked about the gangs and then, I'm in the thick of it because I've just been, you know, a uh, just won the Irish title in the Boston Garden, it was a big thing. And I was a slept for that weekend and the lead of the year, uh, prayed and that was, yeah, great memories. Why do
0: you see you talking like that and says, son, you should have entered into a less dangerous trade?
1: I, I don't think <laughs> spoke to him. I just, I just probably just not said hello. There's all people around. I talked about politicians, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know who he were, what they were. I had no clue. Yeah. That's that's why that's why you know I'm just, I, I probably am I I don't know who I, I talk to people I don't know who they are they, they could be kings they could be villains I don't know so that's why uh, for <laughs> the same though, I'm probably lucky for that reason
0: A previous guest we had it was called uh, Mike Colbert he came on to talk to us about what it was like to fight Roberto Duran as he uh, did
1: Mike Colbert oh my god yeah Born past, grew up in just and uh, just outside Stomp just south of Brockton yeah. Mike Cobb was, yeah, what a talented fighter he was. He's a sparring all the time, a very tall middleweight, and he was right there during the era when I was there. Great yeah,
0: a gentleman as well. And um, but he uh, he boxed on that bill at the uh, at the Boston Garden. It was the Boston Garden, wasn't it? And um, yeah,
1: yeah, the old Garden.
0: Yeah, and he has a videotape of it. I think. In fact, <laughs> it was actually his professional debut. He, he beat a guy called uh, Santiago Hermida over four rounds but there, the reason i kind of talking to you about this fight 35 years ago this week is uh, Steve Collins versus Sammy Story a rematch from the amateurs Irish title first first one ever in America there's no real footage of it out there so you're walking into the ring uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for uh, main event it's out there somewhere Mike release I've the tape you've I've got,
1: got it. it I've got it somewhere I have a box going back <sighs> 30, 40 years I've got stuff I've got videos I've got interviews in America before fights stuff that no one does. I have stuff yeah really I have it all there there you go well look you can release you the tape someday clips of it when you see it when, when um, the documentary comes out oh yeah you make one no, it's been made already it, it, It's got Netflix made already That's so, Okay, yeah Sorry, I actually heard
0: about this recently Yeah, Paki um,
1: yeah, was telling me about it, it. it It's basically just It's just about It's just about Mill Street It's called The Night Mill Street Um, suppose it's, it's a snippet from my career And, and um, Yeah, it's interesting yeah, I, I'm excited about it Yeah, it's gone When it comes out We go on a little tour With it, you know Do a little Q&A and It's a great thing about You know, having Succeeded in the past it, it, It's done now It can never be undone Every once in a while, it pops up and you, you relive it, and and you can, you know, have a little bit of it. It's just nice, a nice little boost. The most of us shock. So yes, that was me, and people still talk about it. You know,
0: absolutely. And here we are talking about a fight that there's even not in, not even any footage out, and yeah. a fight that actually, Steve, in your uh, in your autobiography here with uh, Paul Harris, I've mentioned a couple of times, the fight's not even mentioned. You just skip over 1988. I wasn't happy. I wasn't getting good enough fights. But here you are fighting for the Irish title. It's a seven. You're seven and oh, uh going in against Sammy, who's eight and oh. Uh, mm-hmm. you're 23 years old, he's 24 years old. It's a, it's a cracking fight and given what you both went on to achieve afterwards. Can you right. tell us a bit about the fight? It's a 10 rounder, it goes the distance. You win on points on the judges scorecard by one point with Bob Costello. Dick Flaherty has you 100 to 93 of a winner and Don O'Neill 98, 94. So, you know, Bob Costello sees it as a one point fight. Maybe you think he's nuts Um but can you tell us about the fight? What well, what transpired? You've never heard of Bob Costello
1: before or since then. So obviously he it wasn't he it, it had it wasn't that great. Um, it was just for me. It was it was my big break. Then you know, and I, 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 and what what I do recall is the uh um, night before the fight. I mean, I love the guys personally, but business wise, they were terrible. <laughs> they dropped the contract on the desk the night before the fight. And I said, "What's that?" He said, oh, "It's a contract. If you don't sign this, you can't fight." I mean, they're telling a young kid. And I, so I said, Well, I don't know where it is. I said, I, I, You know, I said, well, I trust you guys. You know, if I have to sign this to fight. I'll sign it. And I signed it. By God, I came back to bite me in the ass years later. It cost me six figures. But there you go. That's the business you're in. But it happens. It happens. You have to, you have to take the good with the bad.
0: The, yeah that's that's not a, not great to go in ahead of a big fight but can you tell us about so can you tell us about entering no, the ring it though?
1: didn't bother me it didn't bother me I just, I just signed it I, didn't, yeah. I forgot I was to sign it but it did come back to my the years later
0: yeah absolutely
1: but <laughs> I went so, on the road
0: <laughs> so story what was the what was the first round second like was it tight did you feel you were always winning was there any was, rounds you lost earlier on earlier in the fight I've never seen it now I'm, I'm obviously I don't know well, I, I don't blind know, about the, this.
1: the bell rang the bell rang and I just jumped in and just started, and just done by this, you know, that was it. And I, I just, you know, I wanted to fight him and he probably wanted to box me and I probably didn't let him box me and I probably done more than he did. And I won the fight. I never felt I was ever going to lose it. I was very confident going in and I, I was very confident I won it. So there's no doubt in my mind. I, I don't really pay attention to judges' um, points because I, I watched a nice selection last weekend fighting English selection up, up in Cannock, north of um, Birmingham. And my nephew, um, Podrick Collins, fought a a, a kid on the seven and nine. and think only had two or three fights and uh, we were concerned about Podrick fighting this guy with a good record. And Podrick went out and bashed him up. The other guy got the decision. But we were all smiling and happy because we know we won the fight. Now, if, if, if you lose a fight, you lose a fight. But if you win a fight and don't get a decision, that's fine. You know when you put your head in your pillow at night, regardless of what judges or politicians or politics are involved or whatever. If you won the fight, you can sleep at night. So... If, you know, I don't do not i I've lost matches in my whole career from my first fight at eight years old up to my last fight at 33 or 25 years of boxing. I've never, ever lost a fight. I've been I've I've, I've had decisions not go my way, but there's nobody has ever beat me in a fight. Ever. 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 I've had guys steal decisions, but no one's ever no one's ever fought me and beat me. i had guys steal, run away, pit up harder, judges whatever but no one's ever stood in range with me and said, right, let's stand tall to toe and get it on. Nobody has ever beat me in a fight. So that's my claim to fame. And, I, and that's, that's, that's fact, so I'm happy with that, you know. Decisions don't, don't mean nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, also, you don't find out how, what a person is like and what they're made of until they lose. Because when people are winning, it's great, but when they lose, it's a whole different uh, game. It's a different mindset. It's a different experience. And some people can't handle it. It can either, you know, with me, I was like a phoenix. So I came out from the flames stronger. So, and I also explained to people that, you know, I, I would, I learned more in a loss than I would in 10 wins. And they say, what do you mean? I said, well, you win a fight, you win a fight. It's great. You won the fight, you look for your next one. Okay. When you lose a fight, you keep looking back at the fight you lost and find out why you lost and what you need to do to improve. So, losses to me are, are probably the best things that can happen to people because it makes them a better fighter because you learn from the loss because you ask yourself, why did I lose this fight? How can I prevent this happening again? And therefore, you become a, uh, a better fighter. So, do you feel
0: you learned anything from beating Sam Storey uh, in Boston, nineteen eighty-eight? Not really. No, just proved the points
1: that I knew was, was facts. fact that I was a better fight than him, and I was going to beat him.
0: Yeah, well, it was your yeah. first kind of—I'd say—just looking at looking at the slate. It was one of your first significant wins, I guess. You know, um, a guy was, with yeah. a guy with a winning record, and then you and then you upped it, and within you know a year or so, you're fighting much more difficult uh, guys en route to eventually fighting Mike McCallum. So it, it kind of kickstarted a new era of the career more difficult
1: yeah, well, uh, well it was, was, it, was it was a step up it was a step up in level when you step up a level you, you find out that I belong at this level and I, when I beat Sammy Story, I realised now I belong at the contender level now I want to go up to the next level which is the top 10 and then you want to go for the world title you know there's, there's guys out there who can win fights and, and get lots of defences and you know have loads of wins but there's a there's there's, there's a level an elite level in every sport that not a lot of people can survive at and some people can go through a whole career and never have to be challenged at that level, but when you get to a certain level, you find out how good you really are. And, and to me, that happened when I fought Mike McCallum. Mike McCallum was the best pound for pound, one of the greatest middleweights ever. But at the time, he was just unbeatable. Hagler avoided him. Leonard avoided him. Sugar Leonard told me why he avoided him. They all, you know, hands—they all avoided him because he was good enough to beat them, but wasn't big enough to make money with. So they avoided him. No one wanted to touch him. He was, he was training to fight um, Michael Watson. Michael Watson broke his nose. I'm back in Dublin at Christmas for the holiday. I haven't seen my family for years. And uh, I got a call. It was Christmas week. Uh, Michael, Michael Watson broke his nose in training for the Mike Cannon fight. you want to substitute. Would you take it? And I said, will I take it? I said, I'll beat him. And people are going, hang on a I minute. Mean, you've only got 13 fights. You're only a novice. They fight in the great middleweight. I said, I'll beat this guy. Watch me. I said, he's an old man. He's 32 years old. (laughs) I was younger then. I thought 32 was old then. I said, I beat him. And when I fought him, I actually thought I did beat him. I thought I could have got the decision. But there's no way I was ready for that level. But the point I'm making is at a very early stage of my career, I could hold my own at the elite level. And I proved it against Mike McCallum, which was great for me. But it was a double-edged sword because what happened then after that was no one would come near me. They realized this guy on form on the night can beat anybody. We don't need him he's not a big name he doesn't bring money to the table he's not you know television hasn't discovered him yet he's he's not worth the risk so since that time onwards every title fight like well my two title shots my two winning title fights like both stepped in at late notice as a substitute none of them were um boundary title defenses against me uh i was stepped in because uh frank warren made him fight me because uh, he left frank warren and Frank Warren was managing both of us and kept us apart. And you, bank was a substitute. So, having been us against McCallum was great, but it made people weary of me. Um, yeah. And,
0: um,
1: yeah. Double S sword,
0: as you said. Um we, we'll, we'll, we won't go into too much more detail about fights with uh, Mike McCallum, and Reggie Johnson, because I've got a, a future episode in mind. Uh, Steve Collins, you know, world title fights in the USA, and uh, maybe a special guest as well, who we've previously discussed as well. So we'll, we'll we'll park that bit. Um who's the guest you're thinking of? Oh, ah, yeah, you the colonel.
1: Ah, oh, he I believe he's been promoted to general now. <laughs> general, right? Okay. He's no, still, still called. still colonel, but he's been promoted to general because he's, he's he's a he's an amazing man. My glad you get him on God, like him talk all day. I mean, from yeah. a guy a cat, from a, a cattle farmer in the west of Ireland to an undercover military <laughs> agent. I mean, he's on I mean, he's on it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Go ahead, Madem- and go ahead a lot of many hats no we'll, we'll do that as a future episode so we'll we'll, we'll park that in a, in March 1988 a, an interesting month actually in which um, I don't know if you're interested in, I was interested in it as a kid not so much anymore but March 1988 WrestleMania 4 Andre the Giant against Hulk Hogan yeah. you, everybody's got to remember that one uh,
1: yeah I do remember the time it was obviously in America it was huge over there and then and, uh, Hulk Hogan I think Hulk Hogan was great they, they were great for wrestling Hulk Hogan was, a, was an active great great um active in, in in wrestling, you know, he just promoted us so much, and I always remember with the the big Goldilocks pulling off his t-shirt, and because I used to train the weight gym as well and Gold's weight weight gym, and they all loved him, and he, he he would tour and show up at gyms and get a big load of cash to come in and lift weights in front of people. He was a great, great character, great yeah. great for the sport. He he's, he I, he's, he put wrestling on the map, and obviously Andre the Giant was you know freak of nature. I mean the size of him he was just he was a, he was a giant, wasn't he? I was uh, later loyal to the ultimate warrior
0: myself as a small child. But yeah, the Hulkster was the man as well for a while. But Back home, two days before your fight, uh, Steve, Michael Stone went on the rampage in Belfast, killing three people. Do you remember that one?
1: Holy Not shit. really. Um, I, I do recall the whole thing happening, but I didn't follow it because I was living in America it was three days before my fight. I, you know, it was like a world title fight for me. I was concentrating on that. Um, yeah, anybody who steps up... Uh, a graveyard and starts pulling a, a weapon and shooting people is, is not only deranged but what can hell? excuse me, English there um, I do recall it but it wasn't yeah. something it wasn't, I you wasn't. Know, I, I, I don't politics are politics I have no interest in politics you know people in the islands of Ireland to me are Irish and that's it and I don't treat anybody different if they have a problem with me I treat me different that's their problem but if you're born in Ireland you're, you're Irish as I can say and I couldn't care less of colour Religion, of bloody, what side of, you, of the car you sit on? I don't care. Yeah, that's it for me. you from the island of Ireland, and, and um, that's it. And, and it ends there with me. I simplified, and that's it. And that makes it easier for me. Yeah. March
0: 1988, the USA. I think number one was Man in the Mirror, Michael Jackson. Number three, I'm Never Going to Give You Up, uh, which could have been a, a mantra for, for your world title, bid. <laughs> Rick Astley.
1: Um, look, I, well, I. Rick Astley, oh my God. He's, he's on radio over here now. He's great. He's fine, yeah. Radio station over here, yeah, the I think it's a Saturday morning, something's pretty good, still sounds the same.
0: It's just great. because it's Steve, because it's the St. Patrick's Week special. Um, I've previously had Dave Boy McCauley on, uh, talking about this subject, and the Sun journalist Colin Hart. And it's come up a lot of times as well like the greatest boxers, the, the greatest Irish boxers of all time. We've whittled it
1: down to a short list of six. Can I, I just step in there, so, Like, Dave Boy McCauley is a man who does not get any a piece of the credit that he deserves. I trained and was with Dave Van McAuley when was world champion in Belfast. Dave Van McAuley was one of the, probably one of the greatest Irish fighters we've ever had and he, for his weight he was so taught his weight and that he punished himself and worked so hard to make weight it was it was unnatural and it was unhealthy how he made weight and how he used to, he, he would go out and perform having you know draw, dried out and dropped weight so much as a champion was unbelievable. He was a great fighter because he trained so hard and was i think he was i think he was almost miserable because he made way he didn't sell himself as a as a personality and because of that he never got the attention or or, or notice he deserved but i can tell you why he was a great fighter great great fighter and i feel that he was he, he was unfairly ignored no one talks about him you talk about him but the public don't know him
0: he uh, he likewise had you up at the top of the list as well or near the top of the list. He said like in the 80s, himself and McGuigan were obviously at the top and then he he banked you in as well. Now this conversation, it's it's obviously difficult to go too far back into the past. So I always, when I'm talking about the, the greatest Irish boxer, of, I'm kind of talking of the modern era. So from maybe the 70s on or the 60s on, uh, just because you, you'd want to give uh, Jimmy McLaren his due as well. Um, But yeah, like Dave Boy McCauley nine world title fights. Yeah, have,
1: you have a you haven't mentioned
0: Fred Teeth Fred Teeth yeah one of the greatest amateur yeah, boxers great, of all time wasn't you
1: know, he there's, there's so many great fighters you know out there you, you haven't mentioned you know, or, or, or back in the day before you were born he used to arrive up in the Late Late Show on a Saturday and he'd sing he'd sing his songs um, the way from up north oh my god why can't I remember his name uh, um, Rinty so,
0: Rinty Monahan. yeah Rinty Monaghan yeah. I mean,
1: you know there's so many great fighters let me say something okay better fighters than me not just in Ireland, in the world. So there's been better fighters out there than me that didn't get the breaks or unfortunately didn't get the chance or something happened to prevent them. You might somehow be in the position where you've got a title belt, you've got so many wins under your belt and you've got, you know, fame and so on. Better, there's better fighters out there that never got those breaks and those opportunities and bad luck, you know, unfortunately is why. So someone says, oh, you're the greatest Irish fighter of all. And better fighters than me, probably people would know the name of you know what I mean? So I just happened to be successful, you know, had the breaks, worked hard, right place, right time. That's it. Under not, if anybody ever said I was the greatest fighter of all time in Ireland, or history, or recent, or wherever they call it, i said no, I'm not. Better than me, and I, I never got the chances I got. I just happened to be someone who got breaks and opportunities. I was in the right place, right time, and therefore I got success. Better fighters than me. Guys who beat me and would beat me never got the breaks I got. So I just happened to be someone who's lucky to be where I was in the right place at the right time I'm not burdening a lot of guys out there
0: you and Dave Boyd Macaulay have something in common when it comes to world titles you won your world title at the third attempt and that speaks to
1: something yeah well I'm glad I won as the third attempt because it was the best uh, era to be around and prior to that I had promotion and management people around me who would have described me and I wasn't ready I I, I, I I was in my when I fought Chris Eubank I was at my best. I, I, I was in my prime. I was, what, 31 years old, and I was physically and mentally stronger. It was the strongest point in my life, and it all happened right. But I won it five years earlier, I would have been finished. I wasn't ready. Five years later, I was too old. It, was, it came at the right time. Everything, if I was to write a script, I couldn't have written a better script than what happened and when it happened and, and how it happened. I mean, the, you know, the Night in Mill Street documentary, the documentary, to, you know, explain that to people what went on, the shenanigans yeah. what went on in the background.
0: I hope they mentioned that you have of a, of any Irish man, certainly in modern history, the most world title fights with eleven. Dave mm-hmm. Boy Macaulay and Wayne McCullough have nine. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I Katie Taylor has gone ahead of you though. She's a, she's about
1: <laughs> fifteen or sixteen well, at, at this stage. At, well. Women never boxed I remember in our in our amateur gym, we had a young lady used to come to our gym to box. And she had a own section in the dressing room and and um, she actually went on and became Deirdre, a woman. Deirdre Gogarty. Deirdre Gogarty. And she was the only female boxer out there. And she never, because of the time, we hadn't got the social media and publicity and women, you know, weren't as popular in sport as year are now. And uh, and then, you know, Katie Taylor's come along and to me, she has put women boxing on the map. People never really paid attention to female boxers till so she came on the scene. And she... Because of her, people now take it serious. They, they they've gained more respect, and it's not a sideshow anymore. She has made female boxing successful, and she will go down a legend, in my opinion. Maybe I'm biased because I'm biased. we're all going we be be a bit biased, but in my opinion, she has done more for female boxing. I think she has established it, and that's what makes that. And, and she's great for doing that. But on top of all that, I've never met her in person, but she comes across as an absolute. A, a, a true lady, a right nice, respectable, soft-spoken. I mean, an absolutely wonderful, wonderful young woman, but a, a, a lady. And what what a great ambassador to have for women boxing. Someone like her, she's not loud, she's not aggressive, she's not vulgar. She's an absolute. She's she's a pure lady, and I bet you know, her parents must be and family and everyone around them should be very proud of her. She has done. Well, she's done female boxing. I don't think anybody else could have done what she's done, and and, and her success has put female boxing on the map. Does she face a
0: big pressure fight in her next one? She's fighting Chantelle Cameron at the three arena. She's attempted to become a two-way undisputed champion. She's already a two-way champion, but she's attempted to become two-way undisputed champion. She's fought her whole career in the States and in the UK, as you did before you came home for your. Now, you fought a couple of times in Belfast and Dublin as well, but you came back for the, the big the big one against uh, Ubank and all the pressure that went with it. Uh, does Katie Taylor face an extra bit of pressure, or is that something that top fighters <laughs> relish?
1: Yes, yes. She's she, she's traveled the world. She's 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 had a you know her gloves and traveled the world and fought everybody everywhere, and now she's coming. She wants to you know she's coming to the end of her career, and she wants to finish and and and, and su- succeed. But what she wants to do is she wants to bring this big grand finale and this big success back to her hometown. So that, you know, I've done it now and I've brought her home, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. So to me, the pressure on her is not just the pressure to win the fight against a great opponent. And it's going to be a hell of a tough fight, but it's, it's, it's the history she wants to bring to it. She wants to bring the whole career and boxing back to Ireland. And, um, and you know, and people will see Katie Taylor boxing Dublin and they'll always connect the female boxers to Ireland as being great. Because they see her as being great, so she will establish the game in our backyard, in the in 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 the female world boxing um, organizations.
0: Does it remind you like the 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 year she potentially faces? You're looking at if she can beat Chantel Cameron. You're looking at maybe resurrecting Amanda Serrano for the second fight at Crow Park later in the year. Does it remind you of your campaign from '95 to '97, coming back, you know, become all of a sudden this? Transcendent name Beating Eubank twice Second one in Porky Cueve In the stadium All that sort of stuff Of
1: course it does Of course it does Yeah She's out there Taking on the best Names in her division She's taking the best Best fighters out there And Of course And every fight Every You know you judge on their last fight She wants to Win every fight every fight is, is every fight's the last fight as far as you can say this this stage in her career so if she wins she wants to win a big fight a big occasion that's part of the history so of course it's, it's pressure but then people like pressure uh, you know to me pressure was great I, I sometimes wouldn't get out of bed but under pressure I, I'd get out of bed early <laughs> to understand so pressure is what at her stage in her career she needs that pressure and she needs that glory as, as a carrot to make her uh, succeed and bring the best out in her Great will you, be, will you be coming over for the fight do you think Three Arena? I sincerely hope so. I waiting for my, I well, no, I'd like to be, I'd like to get a, a ringside seat, but, you know, no one's called me yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, they, they contact us, we'll give them your phone number. You know, know. Some, sometimes, you know, to be honest with you, if I go over there, okay, and sit at that fight, which would be a great experience at ringside, before the fight and after the fight, I'd be meeting a lot of people because it's a boxing show with boxing fans, and they'd be talking to me and I'd be talking to them. And by the time I sit there and I watch the fight, I'd be absolutely wrecked. And then after the fight, then we'd be off celebrating Katie's great win, and it'd next month we'd be wrecked again. Whereas if, if I probably sat at home with the big screen TV, with a Guinness in my hand, and watched from the from the armchair, I'd probably see more and enjoy more and relax it more. So, but I'd say, I, yeah, but I'd like I'd like to be I'd like to, I would like to inside for that fight. Is the answer to that question?
0: There's the robe. Okay, and last but,
1: I, And I, I, you know, and the, but I, I do I do I I do intend on going.
0: Oh, brilliant. Well, look, we'll hopefully see you there. This is our last question here, Stephen. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Rocky Road, St. Patrick's Day 2023 special. Just in, in to, uh, Sammy's story after he fought you and after, you know, went on to have the career he had, very successful. He wrote a column into the, in 2001, actually, so it's going back a bit. Um, but he says, ever since my retirement, I've been dogged by one question. People ask me almost every week, and most often I find myself wondering just how the, ans- the answer would have developed but I, the Irish public, and Steve Collins will never know the answer. Now the question is, why did Steve Collins and I never meet one another in what would have been the first all-Irish world title fight? Uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you because it still hasn't happened yet. Uh, 20, 22 years well, later.
1: Well, I could uh, tell you why. I could tell you why he um, fought Chris Eubank. Eubank knocked him out. I bashed up Chris Eubank, so therefore people said, "Well, it's not a challenge because I just beat the man and knocked him out." And secondly, um, you, you know, you might be a big name in Ireland, but... Ireland doesn't, there's no money in Ireland. No, no, no going to come here and put two Irish fighters on because who's interested. Only the local Irish population, which is four million. So, you know, it, it's boxing the business. They need names and, uh, you know, they need they need international, they need a British firefighter, an Irish firefighter, an American firefighter, Russian firefighter, whatever it is that turns on the the audience. But they also need fighters who are, who are, you know, who, who you don't know who's going to win. They say, well, he's already beaten them once and then he's beaten the guy to knock them out. So it's not a challenge. so, now, who's interested in that? That's what happens Even because Sammy's story got stopped by Chris Eubank. Um, that that was his he lost, he lost his opportunity to be involved in the big fight. He Well, why, why do you want to fight him? There's better fighters out there to fight bigger names, so that's why it didn't happen. Unfortunately, for him, he lost because Chris Eubank got knocked out and had already beaten.
0: Well, look, case closed. So, uh, Sammy's got his answer 22 years later, and hopefully, we'll have Sammy on again soon, and we can ask him his uh. His perspective on on all we've chatted about today. Look, Steve Collins, thanks so much today for giving us all your time. Uh, it's been it's been a great chat, and uh, we went down some we went down some interesting avenues there talking about
1: it all. Steve Collins, wish you all I the would, best. Thanks, I want to wish Katie the best of luck in the fight. Um, she's a, an amazing amazing athlete, and she what well, she's done for female boxing. She's an absolute legend. She has put female boxing on the map. Well done. She's a great great ambassador for for um, for Ireland and for the best sport of boxing brilliant well look
0: here here thank you very much today steve and uh i'll join us again next week everyone else thank you